Fuck you, coronavirus. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Joe Butter from the Big Blue Finish Charge Podcast. No sports going on. Don't have a whole lot to talk about. Giants aren't doing too much. So check out the rapid reaction videos that are over on our YouTube channel. Uh, that's about all that's going on in Giants world right now. Yankees got nothing going on because the entire sport is shut down. Uh, so I'm going to take this episode to dedicate my number two and number three most favorite players in all of sports. Um, Eli Manning and Derek Jeter. Um, one's retiring, one got inducted to the Hall of Fame in the same season, in the same year. So I never really got a chance to appreciate and kind of talk about my feelings about those two guys. So that's what we're going to talk about today because there's no sports. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Blue Pinstripes Podcast. Let's go. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Big Blue Pinstripes Podcast. Like I said in the intro, uh, we got really nothing to talk about right now. There's nothing going on. I'm watching reruns of sports from 2016, 17, 18, whatever the hell they show on TV. Uh, Yesterday, I watched the 2017 World Baseball Classic. Today, I watched the 2018 US Open. Uh, I've been watching some old school college basketball games. They've been showing uh, old, like, great games from March Madness in previous years, um, actually going way back to like 2006 and stuff. Um, and on mainstream channels, I guess, you know, CBS and NBC or, uh, CBS and, uh, what are the channels TNT or something actually had those, you know, time slots slated for the March Madness. So, I mean, they got nothing to show everything's scheduled. So they said, fuck it, let's run some old games and watch them. I mean, I need to watch something. There ain't nothing fucking going on. So I got to watch something. Um, it's especially, uh, I live in Virginia, just outside DC. Um, and our governor spoke today that they're basically doing a lockdown without a lockdown. So we're basically stuck in our house. I mean, we've been stuck in our house anyway, so got to watch something. I, two kids under the age of four driving me insane. So need to do something. And, you know, I got pumped watching Brooks Koepka hoist the, the USO trophy. It's, I mean, it's something, it's something Brooks, Brooks Cup is fun to watch, and the 2018 U.S. Open was fun because it was Kepi, it was DJ, it was Reed, it was Stenson, it was Finau. I mean, it was some big names. Everybody except Tiger um, was, you know, in it down the stretch. So that was a fun one to watch. Anyways, this isn't a golf podcast. This is a Giants and a Yankees podcast. So I want to talk about my favorite Giant and my favorite Yankee because, frankly, I don't have anything else to talk about, and I never really got a chance to talk about them when they got inducted to the Hall of Fame. Um, or when Jeter got inducted to the Hall of Fame and Eli retired and he is going to get inducted to the Hall of Fame. I don't care what any of you fucking haters say. Most of those haters aren't the ones listening to this show. So I'm sure most of the listeners here agree with me that he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. But anyway, I think I'm going to start with Eli uh, just because I'm not really sure why, to be honest with you. Um, I guess because he's my, of the two, he's my lesser of the two favorites not taking anything away from him. Um, Jeter was just a big part of my life growing up. Eli was too. It just, you know, Jeter hit a little harder because he started earlier, I guess. Um, so, anyways, Eli Manning. And for those of you that don't know, my all-time favorite athlete in history of everything in the world is Tiger Woods. Um, I grew up playing golf. Uh, golf got me into college. That's kind of been my life was golf. And Tiger is... 
the ringleader of everybody in my generation and greatest player to play the game of golf, the greatest athlete to play any organized sport, most dominant athlete to play any organized sport. And there is absolutely no question. And actually have a new podcast coming out. Um, we're hoping to actually record the first episode tomorrow titled views from the nosebleeds. Uh, so go ahead and subscribe to that show when it's available. Uh, should be available in the next couple of weeks. We're going to try to get a couple episodes recorded, especially now because there's no sports going on. You can actually pre-record a couple episodes if you want to. I mean, there's no news. You're not going to miss anything or be late on anything. So we're going to try to get a couple recorded, get them out. Uh, so, so kind of get ready for that one. Get prepared to subscribe to views from the nosebleeds. That's an all sport podcast. Uh, no fantasy, just sports in general. Um, it's going to take over the sports talk world one day. And I'm going to dedicate one of the episodes to Tiger Woods, um, my co-host, who's my brother-in-law, uh, is also a golf fan. So we're going to spend one of the episodes where I get to choose the topic we're going to talk about Tiger. But that is neither here nor there. That is that podcast, Views from the Nosebleeds. Subscribe to that one. Big Blue Pinstripes podcast is what we're doing now. So let's talk Eli Manning. Um, Eli Manning is... The greatest giant to ever play offense because he's not Lawrence Taylor. He's the greatest offensive giant in history. And he gets a lot of flack from national media. And even still to this day, he gets, you know, whenever there's an interception meme on Facebook, it's usually either him. Although, thank you to James Winston for throwing, for uh, completing the first 30 30 season in history and taking that kind of interception meme crown from Eli. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Jameis. Hope you find a team. You're fun to watch. Eli doesn't get the credit he deserves. Um, and it absolutely drives me insane. He is one of, I mean, he's not one of the best to ever do it. He is the best giant to ever do it. Um, I mean, he's top 20 all time quarterbacks, maybe 25, but he is number one in my heart. Number one in a lot of Giants fans' heart, especially my age. Um, and even, you know, my dad and my brothers who kind of grew up watching Phil Sims. My dad even further back, you know, to some of those other guys. Uh, my brothers grew up watching Phil Sims. My brothers are quite a bit older than me. Uh, just just to clear that up, they're 10 and 11 years older than me. So they were Phil Sims era. I was Eli era. Um, and I, I don't know why he gets the, the – I mean, the face – I guess is the reason why he gets the flack, the the whole draft day trade forcing situation to not want to play in San Diego, forced his way into New York. I mean, that's bad. Sure. How much of it was really him? I don't know how much of it was his dad. Didn't want to see him struggle the way he struggled in New Orleans all those years. I don't know. He got off to a bad start. He was, he was on par or if not better than Peyton was in college when he was at Ole Miss. I mean, he was incredible. His team was absolute garbage. So he didn't win any uh, national championships or Heisman's because the numbers weren't there to match his actual ability. Scouts knew it. Scouts saw what they saw. They knew exactly how good he was. That's why he was the basically the unanimous number one pick. That's why teams were clamoring to get up there. There was a few teams that were in need of quarterback at the time, and then actually it ended up you know three of those teams ended up turning the the fortune of their organizations around. I mean, not necessarily Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh has a history of success, but San Diego, I mean, 
taking Philip Rivers or taking Eli and getting Philip Rivers. I mean, that turned their team around. The Giants were kind of fresh off a Super Bowl appearance a couple years before, but that Super Bowl appearance wasn't necessary, necessarily Kerry Collins doing. So they were kind of in need of a quarterback. Um, they had signed Kurt Warner, but that was a, a Band-Aid, a, a stopgap to kind of ease them into the new quarterback era, whether it be Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, whoever they took. Um, that was going to kind of ease them into that. From what I read you know, back in the day, current day, it was either going to be Eli or Ben Roethlisberger, which would have been nice because those are two, when it comes to the best quarterback from that draft, it was Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers. Say what you want about Philip Rivers. I don't like him. I don't think he's as good as his number state. He was probably on the best offenses of the three guys. Ben Roethlisberger obviously had some phenomenal wide receivers. Phenomenal running backs. Actually, I take that back. Now, Ben Roethlisberger had the best offense. Eli had the worst offense of the three. Always. I mean, he never had LaDainian Thompson. He never had Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown. So when I look at kind of the talent that these guys had to work with, I mean, that's kind of what I base this off. I mean, Eli didn't have the offensive talent around him that some of these other guys did. He had, you know, he had Plexico Burris for a couple of years. He had Amani Tumor for a few years. He had Saquon at the end. I mean, he had two years at Tiki in the beginning. I mean, he never really had, I mean, he had Victor Cruz in his prime. Well, really his prime was his whole career. I mean, he only lasted four or five years. And he had Odo Beckham Jr. when he came out. That was pretty much all he had. And he never had that bunch as a group. He had he had one of them here, he had one of them here, one of them here, one of them here, one of them here. And like Ben Roethlisberger had Antonio Brown, he had Heinz Ward, he had Emmanuel Sanders, he had uh the fuck was that dude's name? Mike Wallace. He had all those guys intertwined together. I mean, he never had less than two of them at a time. And then he had you know, he had Le'Veon Bell, he had Willie Parker, he had, uh, there was another running back there that I can't remember his name. He had Heath Miller throughout that whole process, who was as steady as they come. And, like, those guys, I mean, Phil Rivers had Ladini Tomlinson, he had Keenan Allen towards the end, he had uh, Vincent Jackson, when Vincent Jackson was actually really good. He had Antonio Gates the whole time. Uh, he had Ryan Matthews when he was really good. I mean, he... These guys had studs together. I mean, he had Antonio Gates the whole the whole way. Eli had Jeremy Shockey for a couple years, but he was a fucking head case that couldn't get out of his own way. And he took that team to two Super Bowls and beat the greatest team of all time in the 2007 Patriots. And he came back and beat the Patriots again in 2011. It's incredible what he did. And he, he never missed a game. I mean, the only time he missed a game is because he got benched by fucking Ben Wackadoo. And that whole bullshit. And then... You know, this past season when they sat him for Daniel Jones, which this time it made sense. This time you understood why they were doing it. It wasn't because they thought he sucked. I mean, I don't know if they did behind closed doors. I don't know. But he didn't. His numbers said otherwise. He wasn't playing that bad. He had a garbage offensive line, and his receivers could never stay healthy. His tight end could never stay healthy. His running back didn't stay healthy this year. Um, So... This year, you understand why they did it. And they had the quarterback that actually seemed like he was going to be the future. You know, when they when they sat him before, they didn't even sit him for the rookie that was on the team. They sat him for Geno fucking Smith, who everybody knew was trash. 
So that was almost like, I don't know, Ben McAdoo trying to prove a point that he was more important. I don't know, but I don't count that. I mean, a dude played 250 straight games without missing a game, and that's something that should not go unnoticed. That stat alone, on top of the two Super Bowls, on top of the five Pro Bowls or whatever he went to, he should be in the Hall of Fame. On top of being the greatest quarterback to ever play in your city, fuck Joe Namath. I don't understand why he's in the Hall of Fame. He was trash. If you want to talk about someone that throws a lot of picks, look at Joe Namath's fucking numbers. He threw more picks than touchdowns. He's in the Hall of Fame only because he he's a douchebag that predicted a victory over a team that was far superior than his, and he went out and beat him. That got him into the Hall of Fame. Eli Manning did the same fucking thing. He beat a team that was the greatest team in history, and he just didn't predict it. But that should have got him in. That should get him into the Hall of Fame. He will be in the Hall of Fame. Whether he's first ballot, I don't know. He will be in the Hall of Fame. But he came. He got drafted in 2004. I mean, I was born in 1990, so I was you know almost 14 years old. I mean, I basically grew up with him all through. Now, I'm, as I'm approaching 30, it was just like that. The most potent part of my fanhood, my fandom, between 2004 and 2019 I mean, that's when I was really, really aware of what was happening, the greatness that I was watching. I understood what was going on. I got into it. I understood the ins and outs of football more than I did, like in 2000 when they went to the Super Bowl. I watched that game. I watched, I mean, up from like 99 on is when I really started watching everything. When Elon Manning came, I really understood the game more than I did when I first started. Obviously, the more you watch, the more you figure out what's going on. His career, I was so in tune with what was going on and what I was watching. And the fact that, I mean, he took a stranglehold of New York City. I mean, the toughest city in the world, the toughest media in the world, the toughest critics in the world. And he just handled it with such, such class and grace. Such a good dude. He's so funny. He makes weird faces, whatever. He, he talks a little weird. I mean, he comes from the South. He's got a, a heavier accent. And he doesn't talk as, as I don't know, I, I don't want to say as well because he talks fine, but it, it, it's a little slower than the way most people talk. So it kind of came off as he wasn't you know smart, which is absolutely the opposite of what the case was. But that's kind of why people make fun of him and whatever. But he had those characteristics in New York City. Anything goes wrong, he is going to get demolished. He did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. He's an excellent father, an excellent husband, an excellent quarterback, an excellent person, and handled that with such class. I mean, the role models I had growing up were absolutely phenomenal. Between Eli Manning, between Derek Jeter, Tiger's my guy. The role model itself, not so great. But on the other side of of the sports world, LeBron James was drafted in 2003. I'm a big LeBron fan. Role model couldn't be any better. Could not be any better. I mean, my generation of role models was incredible. Eli Manning was at the forefront of that. And, I mean, it didn't hurt that I was a Giants fan. It didn't hurt that my family was Giants fans. But I have been the biggest Eli Manning supporter from the get-go than anybody. My dad... My my brothers, my cousins, everybody knows, like, you talk shit about Eli, you don't do that in front of me. It ain't happening. 
because I will argue every single point you make with a better, smarter point that proves the otherwise. That's just the way it is. I mean, it's one is defending your guy, and two, because really there are numbers to prove it. I mean, you look at the year through 27 picks, yeah, bad, ugly. But you also had a year where you threw 34 touchdowns and doesn't get the credit for that. That's fine. Whatever. I I mean, everybody has bad years. Peyton Manning threw like 24 picks as a rookie. Nobody talks about his bad seasons. So, I mean, it is what it is. I'm not saying Eli Manning is as good as Peyton Manning. He's not. Peyton Manning is one of the three best quarterbacks to ever play the position and the smartest quarterback to ever play the position. Eli is not in that stratosphere, but that's he doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be. He also didn't play in Indianapolis. Okay, He didn't play in Denver. He played in New York fucking city, and he did this every single week, every single game. He was there for you. He never, ever shot down a teammate. The biggest thing that he ever did was kind of gawk at Tiki's comments saying that they can't win a Super Bowl with him. What does he do? He goes and wins the Super Bowl the next fucking season. Happy retirement, Tiki. And I'll tell you, the giant that I hate the most, Tiki fucking Barber. That dude can suck a big fat one. And like now he wants to praise fucking Eli. He wants to give him all kinds of compliments. Like, of course you did. You're just mad because he said, I'm quitting. I can't win. He ain't going to lead any team to nothing. He's, he's a bad leader. He doesn't do anything. What does he do? He laughs at your comments and goes and wins the Super Bowl. Fuck you, Tiki. Anyways, but, and then he goes and wins another Super Bowl. But the 2000 Super Bowl is, I'm a big, obviously a big Yankee fan, obviously a big Giants fan, obviously a big Tiger fan. Tiger has a lot of memories. That 2007 Super Bowl was one of the most memorable experiences, memorable games, sporting events I have ever watched. I will never ever forget where I was, what I did, my reaction when it ended, the whole, like, just nail-biting, like, that wasn't supposed to be a low-scoring game. That was supposed to be a, the end of week 17 when they played together was 38-35. That wasn't, the Patriots scored 6,000 points that season. They were the most lethal offense in NFL history until the Broncos passed that. That, that was not supposed to be a uh, 17-14 game. That was supposed to be 41-38, 35-31. That was nail-biting, fucking sitting on the edge of your chair, sweating, like closing your eyes, not afraid to watch type of game. Never forget it. I'll never forget it. He brought one of the best memories of my life um, out, outside of family. I mean, one of my greatest sports memories was watching that football game. And watching it alone in my basement because I don't I don't watch games with people. I'm not I'm not one of the guys that goes out to the bars and watches. I can watch, you know, like a week three game at a bar. I'm not watching the playoffs at a bar. I'm not watching the playoffs with other people. I'll watch other games with other people. I'll watch all the other Super Bowls with anybody. If the Giants are playing in the playoffs, I am not watching it with other people. I'm watching that to myself with my wife if she wants to, but she generally does not. I watch those to myself. That game was actually kind of funny. I was watching it in my basement. I was still living. I mean, I was 16 years old. I was a freshman in high school, sophomore in high school. I was a sophomore. I was in 2007. No. 
Yeah, it was a sophomore in high school. Um, see, I remember what I was doing. I don't remember what fucking grade I was in. Well, the sophomore in high school. So obviously I was still living at home. I was in the basement. My parents were both watching upstairs. I was the only kid at the house because, like I said, my brothers are a lot older than me. They were gone um, off living their lives like 29-year-olds like they were at the time, whatever they were. I was in the basement. My parents were upstairs. There's like a maybe maybe a one-second lag from the basement TV to the upstairs TV at the time. So as you know, they're driving down the field. They get, you know, the the famous helmet catch, which David Tyree gets all the credit for, not Eli, of course, because nobody wants to give Eli any credit. Driving down the field, that play happens. You know, it is what it is. They get down the field. The touchdown throw to Plaxico Burris. That ball was in the air pretty much at the snap. Right when he let go of the ball, I heard my parents jumping upstairs. I heard them jumping. I heard them screaming. I like, I mean, it's not like we live in a mansion. I mean, my parents are right above me. I can hear the foot stomps. I could hear the television. I had the door shut. I can hear the television through the ceiling. And I, I had, it kind of ruined it a little bit for me. But at the same time, I mean, that was, you could talk about the helmet catch. You could talk about the Manningham throw. That play right there, Manning lobs it, Burris alone, touchdown Giants. That's that's the one play that I will never forget in Giants history, and Eli gave that to me. And I want to personally thank Eli for actually throwing a spiral because every time you see that a rerun, a replay, any type of highlight of that, the throw is in slow-mo, and that throw was fucking beautiful. Perfectly hit him right in the chest. I don't like how Plaxico, Plaxico turned around because I was afraid he was going to trip. What he did is he's, he's a, a superstar. But the throw was perfect. I mean, obviously it wasn't a difficult throw. The dude was fucking wide open. I forget that corner's name. Um, he was a pretty big name corner at the time. Um, but he just made him look stupid. I mean, Plaxico, that entire run in the playoffs, he was just bullying defenses. So... He took one step to the inside, and the corner broke so hard. I mean, he just walked it into the end zone. At, at that point, Eli probably could have ran it because everybody cut to the middle because they think Paul Plaxico was over there. I mean, he could have ran it in if he wanted to, just looked at the pylon and ran straight to it. But he didn't. He threw – I mean, Manning lobs it, Burris alone, touchdown Giants. Absolutely incredible. Best calls ever. I'll, I'll never forget it. Um I mean, it's just memories. It was memories of a time in life when I really, really, truly was aware of everything that he was doing. And he was, and not even that. I mean, there was throws he made. The In 2011, the game in San Francisco, the NFC Championship, I mean, that was outside of, you know, individual plays, obviously the Manningham throw, the, the Odell Beckham Jr. throw. The, the helmet catch, those things are memorable plays. That game in San Francisco in 2011 was Eli Manning's defining moment as a quarterback. That was one of the most incredible performances of a quarterback ever, ever. I mean, the absolute fucking beating that that man took in that game and just continuously got up. Never stopped, never bitched about his line that was trash, never bitched about anything, anything. Just kept getting up, said, all right, hey, hey, guys, cool, we'll get it next time. Hey, take this this fucking 
patch of mud out of my helmet and let me keep going. Like, none of that. It was just, I'm going to beat this team right now. And if you guys want to hop on my back, fine. But it doesn't matter because I'm going, we are going to win this game. And I'm not missing a play. I can get beat the fuck up every play and I'm not stopping. What did he do? Drove down the field, won the game. Or drove down the field, tied the game. They won it in overtime, which was a nail-biting overtime. Uh, that, you know, a muff punt return. Actually, it wasn't even a muff punt return. It was a, a, a forced fumble that, you know, saved them. But anyway, that game itself, that's Eli Manning's defining moment. And it's just moments like that. I mean, he created so many memories for Giants fans. And that the national media doesn't want to accept the fact that he was excellent and great at what he did. And he had a fan base that was just, you know, over, over their, like over heels in love with him. Like he was an amazing person. He was perfect for New York City. He was perfect for the Giants. I mean, thankfully the Giants were a well-run, a well-run organization at the time. It's getting a little funky right now. At the time, I mean, they were the, a model organization that was going through a tough time. And he just took them on his back and took them to two Super Bowls, took them to every season they were relevant. He just took them to consistency and just excellence. And it, like I said, it was it was a time in my life when, I mean, you latch on to people like that. And I latched on to him really hard. And anytime someone says anything about Eli, people always look at me because they know if someone says something bad about this man, they don't do that in front of me because you're in for an argument. You're in for a fight because I will come at you. You don't talk bad about that man. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to take a little break. Um, that was my Eli Manning rant. Not really rant, more my Eli Manning rave because I love him and he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And I can't wait till he gets inducted to the Ring of Honor. And I really hope they do it for the game that Tampa Bay comes to town so Tom Brady, loser of two Super Bowls to the hand of Eli, can watch them put his number up in the rafters. Um, so that would be – well, not the rafters. It's a it's an outside stadium, but, you know, in the ring of honor. That would be it. Just an excellent just circle of his NFL life. So I really hope they do that. But anyways, I'm going to take a little break. Uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about my other favorite New York athlete. Thanks for giving me a second to catch my breath. I uh, just want to remind everybody what we're doing here. Um, there's not a whole lot of sports going on, so I'm talking about my two favorite New York athletes. And the second one on the list is Mr. November, Derek Jeter. Um, doesn't need an introduction. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows how great he was. Um, kind of similar to my reasoning behind my love affair with Eli. I mean, same thing for Derek Jeter. I mean, I grew up. Playing baseball as a child. I mean, I quit when I was, say, 13 to pursue golf, you know, more in, intensely. Um, so, I mean, up until 2003 or so, I was playing baseball, playing shortstop, wearing number two, just like every other kid in America was doing. He came up in 95, um, got his little, you know, cup of tea in the big leagues, 96, one rookie of the year, and, you know, took off from there. Same thing. My entire childhood revolved around one guy. 
Oddly enough, that team actually had four guys that kind of gave you an option to cling on to. Jeter, Posada, Pettit, and Mo, which, you know, the core four, everybody knows that. I clung to Derek Jeter like many did. Um, oddly enough, my wife is uh, Puerto Rican, so she kind of her family kind of clung to the Jorge Posada side of it. Um, cool, great, that's fine. Everybody loves Derek Jeter. They love Derek Jeter too. Um, it's just kind of funny how different people cling to different players, different athletes, different role models, whatever. I myself, I clung to Derek Jeter. That's my guy. Again, I'm very loyal to my guys. I showed that with Eli. I'll show that with Tiger and views from the nosebleeds. The new podcast coming out that I'm doing with my brother-in-law. Check it out. I'll show you. I'm very loyal to my guys. Derek Jeter is who. And let me start this off by saying the one person who did not vote for him for the Hall of Fame. I hope you make yourself public because you deserve a fucking ass whipping for that. That was absurd. I don't understand. And I got into a bunch of arguments with a bunch of friends. They said, look, you got 99%. That's great. I mean, what difference does it make? He doesn't deserve to be 100%. If Ken Griffey didn't deserve to be 100%, Derek Jeter doesn't deserve to be 100%. And I said, you know what? You're right. That's absolutely true. There are other guys that should have been unanimous. Ken Griffey Jr. absolutely should have been unanimous. Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth. I mean, all these guys should have been unanimous, but they weren't. Last year, Mariano Rivera was unanimous. Okay, so there is kind of an unspoken word that baseball should not have unanimous Hall of Famer. I don't know why it is. It's fucking stupid, but it is what it is. Baseball is, you know, America's pastime. It's our traditional sport in air quotes that you can't see. That's fine. Okay, Mariano Rivera broke that. He broke that trend. He broke that tradition. The door is now open for unanimous Hall of Famers. Okay? Now there's no boundaries to it. Derek Jeter, following the fact that Mo broke the barrier, Derek Jeter absolutely should have been 100%. It shouldn't have even been remotely a question that he wasn't going to be 100% because he was more valuable to all those Yankees teams than Mariano Rivera was. Mariano Rivera threw... What, maybe 73 innings a season? I, I don't have his numbers in front of me. But closers don't throw that much. I mean, they throw one inning for the most part. I mean, back then they would get four or five outs more often than they do now. But, over, I mean, what his career high couldn't have been but 85 innings. All right? Derek Jeter is playing 85 innings every couple weeks. I mean, he's playing nine innings a night, every single night, playing the most important position on the field, directing the defense, telling everybody what to do, batting leadoff for most of those years, or second, one or the other. And he was the captain of the team. Don't forget that. He was more valuable. The argument against it, I guess, is Marion Rivera was the best ever at his position. Derek Jeter was not. I don't care about that. The fact that Mo broke the barrier of unanimous, unanimous Hall of Famer, the fact that Derek Jeter didn't get it is just absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And it still bugs me. It's been a couple months, and it still bothers me. And I just I want that guy to come pub that or woman. I'm not really sure if there are women voters. I don't know. I would hope there are, but I, I don't know. Um, sorry, I just bumped the microphone. 
I want to know who that person is because I want to know where they're from. Is it is it a Houston writer? Is it a Boston writer? Is it a Miami writer? Because there's a lot of tension between Derek Jeter and some of the Miami circle of people, whether writers, beat writers, uh, reporters, whatever you call them, um, the inside the front office, just people around that organization aren't real happy with what he's doing down there. So was it somebody down there? Because if that's the case, then it's like, okay, he was unanimous and he just has someone that does not like him personally. Because that's the case and that's just sickening and you can remove him from the boat and he's unanimous. Anyway, he's unanimous in my heart. He, I mean, where do we start with the memories? There's the play against Oakland when he's running across the first base line and basically into the dugout to get Jeremy Giambi out of the plate, which oddly enough, if there was an MLB network special on, I don't, I don't know if it was this year or last year, um, with him and Harold Baines that or Harold, Harold Reynolds, excuse me, that they actually practiced that play. And he actually showed proof that they run that play and practice and in games. There was other games where he did that same exact route. The ball just didn't happen to get to him. That time he could see the ball was he could tell by the trajectory of the ball that it was going to airmail both cutoff men, and it just happened to work out. I mean, they practiced the play, so practice you know makes perfect, but it worked out that time, and it was in a crucial, crucial situation that it was memorable. It's a game against the Red Sox where he goes diving into the stands. Um, things like that is why. I laugh at your argument that he's not one of the greatest to play the position. There's things like that. You can you can tell me about his his uh, ability laterally to make plays, you know, up the middle. Okay, his his jump to the left wasn't very good. He wasn't quick off the beat. wasn't quick off the bat to the left. Okay, the the play in the hole, the jump throw. I mean, iconic, iconic. Everybody wants to do it. It's just, name me a better duo. Derek Jeter and the jump throw. You can't. I'll wait. But moving to the left, he wasn't as good. He didn't have as much range to the left as he did to the right. I don't give a fuck. Because the plays that he made, all the routine plays were done. Like, he was one of those guys that you can count on. If the ball was hit towards him, out. There's guys now that you can't say that. But if the ball was hit towards him, out. If the ball was hit towards third base, out. And the plays that other guys don't make mentally, that's where he separated himself. He separated himself from other shortstops mentally. Nomar Garcia Parra didn't have that mental game. Alex Rodriguez absolutely did not have that mental game. Omar Vizquel, yeah. Um, Cal Ripken Jr., yeah. He was a shortstop for half of his career. Guys like that, sure, they had it. But they didn't have the... I don't know. There was some kind of drive within Derek Jeter that other guys just didn't have. You just don't see that. You don't see it now. You didn't see it then. It's just that willingness to just drop everything individually, put it all out on the line, and just win games. Do whatever you got to do to win a game. If it's sac- sacrifice bunt, sack fly, uh, getting a runner over, just getting a ground ball to second base so that runner in second gets to third with one out. Those things are going to make your stats look worse 
but he doesn't care because all he wants to do is win. That's all he wants to do, and there are guys now that don't do that. It seems like guys now are playing more for their free agency paycheck. They want to put up massive numbers as they approach free agency and get paid. That's what it is. That's the way it goes, and that's fine. I Trust me, I enjoy watching baseball now just as much as I did then. But Derek Jeter was a different cat, man. He was a different cat. Those, I mean, you don't see guys going diving into the stands like that anymore. I mean, you can't really because there's nets now because people are getting hurt. Uh, fans are getting hurt. But you just don't see shit like that. You don't see a guy coming. You don't see Alex Rodriguez. Everybody thinks Alex Rodriguez is superior to Derek Jeter. Offensively, he was. But defensively, he may have been. However, he comes to New York. They didn't move Derek Jeter over. They moved A-Rod over. You know why? Because this is Derek Jeter's team. Derek Jeter is smarter. Smarter than A-Rod. A-Rod wasn't ready for New York. Derek Jeter took New York by storm and just ran with it. As I spoke earlier about Eli Manning being the perfect guy for New York City, where do you think he learned that? Who do you think he talked to when he got drafted? Derek Jeter called him. Derek Jeter gave him the rundown and said, hey, look, dot, 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 dot. This is what you need to do to succeed in New York. Look, and I promise you, if you win in New York, it is better than winning in any other city in the world. And he did that five times. He was a rookie in 96. He, he made his debut in 95. But the way baseball works is you're not technically – out of rookie status until you hit a certain number of at-bats or a certain number of uh, innings pitched. He didn't hit that at-bat threshold. I think it's 150, 130 at-bats. He didn't hit that threshold in 95. So 96, he was technically still a rookie. So you look at his rookie season in 96. 96, they won the World Series. All right, he's one for one. 97, they didn't, they didn't go. He's one for two. 98, they win a World Series. Two for three. 99, win a World Series. 3 for 4. 2000, win a World Series. 4 for 5. Uh, 2001, they go to a World Series and lose in Game 7, heartbreakingly, to the Diamondbacks. All right, so his first six years in Major League Baseball, he went to the World Series five times and won four. 2002, they didn't go. 2003, they went to the World Series again and lost. So his first eight years, he went to five World Series. Or uh, six World Series. In eight years, won four. Didn't get back until 2009. He won it. But it's just crazy. I mean, the amount of success that he started off with. And you say what you want, he wasn't a home run hitter. I mean, he would hit, you know, 15 to 20 home runs a season, which wasn't excellent. I mean, when you got A-Rod out there pumping 50 from the shortstop position, you had Miguel Tejada pumping 50 from the shortstop position. He wasn't doing that. But he didn't need to because he was hitting 320. He was, you know, getting 215 hits a season. He was batting leadoff for the Yankees. He was getting on base at a 400 clip because he was hitting. And and he had the eye of, you know, your everyday on-base percentage machines. I mean, he didn't swing at bad pitches. It's just he was excellent. He was excellent. He was perfect for the city. He was perfect for baseball. He handed the face of the league off seamlessly to Mike Trout. And it was just incredible to watch him. I mean, I spent – from 96 to 2013, 2014, 
just watching Derek Jeter gracefully man the middle of the infield of Yankee Stadium. Two different Yankee Stadiums. He closed down old Yankee Stadium. He opened new Yankee Stadium. He won a World Series in both. I mean, it's just, I mean, how much can you say about it? He got robbed of an MVP by Dustin Pedroia. That was absolute bullshit. No way in hell should he have won that. that uh, not not uh, Pedroia. It was uh, Pedroia took Cano's. It was um, Justin Morneau. Absolute bullshit that he won that that MVP. That was ridiculous. Derek Jeter won that MVP. He was an all-star MVP. He was a World Series MVP in the same year, 2000. He was the rookie of the year. He won how many gold gloves, how many silver sluggers. He was just, he was incredible. He was absolutely incredible. But the big thing is he won five World Series. I mean, you win five World Series for the Yankees, you're going down in history. And that was my same thing with Eli from 2004 to current. Well, then it was 96 to 14. I mean, that was – and I started playing baseball. I was watching baseball long before I was watching football. I started watching baseball when I was five, six, and knew what was going on because I started playing when I was four. So I knew what was going on. I mean, I was watching – I watched it. My whole life was watching these two guys. And three, when you put in Tiger and I watched – I'm still watching him. Dude just won a couple months ago. Won the Masters a year ago. He's still the defending champion at the Masters because who knows when the fuck they're playing that tournament. Like, this was a childhood that just, these two guys just carried me from kindergarten to fucking having my second child. And they did it so perfectly, so gracefully, so easily, and didn't do anything wrong. Had no hiccups. No issues, no arrests, no nothing, nothing. Everybody wanted to be Derek Jeter, myself included. And I mean, it was just, it was just a a perfect storm of events for me as a kid growing up, a New York sports fan, outside of New York because my parents moved down here, but just growing up. With that culture, my entire family is split between Giants, Jets, Yankees, Mets. My fam, my immediate family just happens to be Yankees, Giants, and that's what I clung to. And, I mean, it was just a perfect storm of events. I mean, I had success. I mean, I've, I've seen seven championships between my two favorite teams. I've seen seven championships and 15 majors. I've been pretty fucking blessed as far as sports fandom goes. Pretty fucking blessed. And I'm a LeBron fan, like I said, so I've watched him win three titles. So, and Tigers majors are equal to Yankees Giants championships to me. So when you look at their seven, his 15, I mean, I've I've seen 22 world championships. And I couldn't ask for anything more as a sports fan. I mean, I have memories in my personal life now that outweigh the sports memories. But as far as sports go, I couldn't have asked for a better childhood, a better fandom, a better pair of athletes in these two sports to cling to and idolize than Derek Jeter and Eli. I mean, they were perfect. I don't, I don't know how else I can say it. They were absolutely perfect. And it still bugs me that he's not unanimous. It still bugs me that he's running the Marlins now. It's still kind of weird. I don't really like it, but 
He obviously couldn't buy the Yankees. I mean, he can't afford that. And the Yankees aren't going it. They're not for sale. They're not going anywhere. So it's not like there was even an option for it. So in a in a perfect world, you'd see him run the Yankees and see Eli have some kind of role within the Giants. I don't see either of it happening. I hope Derek Jeter takes the Marlins to a title one day. I really, really do, because that would excuse me that would be incredible for his legacy to you know win his five titles in New York, go to Miami, run the operations of it, and win a title with them. Obviously, it might have helped him if he waited a year to trade all his guys. He traded Stanton at the perfect time because the Yankees gave up a shitload to get Stanton, especially financially. And he probably could have waited a year to trade Yelich. He probably should have waited a year to trade Ozuna. Actually, he probably had traded Ozuna at the right time. But Yelich, he should have waited. He probably could have got some more. Anyway, I really hope he does well down there. I mean, I... You can he could be running the Red Sox. I would hate them a little bit less. He would never do that, but if he did, I would hate them a little bit less because I mean it's Jeter. It's Jeter, it's number two. Derek Jeter. Number two. Can't get any better than that. Can't get any better than the two guys that I got to grow up watching. Say what you want about whoever you like. This is who I like. This is who I clung to as a child. I mean, I clung to Derek Jeter at six years old. I mean, that dude's been with me my whole life. I feel like he's a father of mine. Who's only, whatever he is, 12 years older than me. But that's crazy. It's, I I was, like I said, I was blessed. Um, Seeing Eli Manning's retirement press conference, little event, and Derek Jeter getting unanimously voted into the Hall of Fame, except for the one little fucker that I'm discounting. It's wild. I mean, it's like almost putting, almost closing the book on my childhood sports fandom. I mean, once Tiger hangs it up, I mean, that's that's the end of my childhood. My childhood is over. I mean, my my real life childhood is effectively over. It's been over for 10 years, but... My sports childhood is still ongoing because the guys that I idolized, one of them is still playing. And one of them just stopped, you know, six months ago. And not six, but he stopped playing six months ago. And the other one just got inducted to the Hall of Fame. So, like, it's, they're still relevant in playing the sport, let alone, you know, running a team, things like that. It's, it's wild. It's really cool, and I couldn't be more thankful. And, you know, it kind of led me to do something like this because I want to carry that legacy on for those guys and, you know, things like that. Let me talk about it. Let me air this stuff out because, I mean, I I have a lot to say, and I'm not just going to sit here and talk my wife's ear off and tell her about shit that she already knows because she grew up watching the same dude. She doesn't watch football, so she doesn't have any – affection towards Eli, but Derek, I mean, she was a Derek Jeter fan too. And like, yeah, I mean, what else can I say? Two of the best New York athletes to ever do it. All came at the same time, ran the city together, winning Super Bowls, winning World Series together. Um, couldn't have asked for anything more. 
And that's the end of the episode. I don't really have anything else to say. I'm kind of tired and I'd like to go to bed. So I want to end it here. Um, if you didn't notice, I didn't have a guest on. I was planning to have a guest on today. Um, hopefully we're going to get him one next week. Um, I think we're going to kind of pre-record because it seems like Monday nights doesn't really work real well, real well for him. So we're going to try to record at the end of this week, get it out, same time, same black bat channel um, next week. So hopefully we will finally, episode 14, will finally present Big Blue Pinstripes podcast first guest. But until then, don't do anything because there are no sports to watch. Listen to the show, Big Blue Pinstripes podcast. Uh, real quick, I do want to, again, uh, promote the other show, Views from the Nosebleeds. It's going to be a lot of fun. My brother-in-law and I, very opinionated people. We like different teams. He's an Eagles fan. I won't hold that against him entirely. He's a Phillies fan that I can entirely hold against him. I hate them both pretty equally. I don't hate the Phillies as much. I hate the Eagles more than almost anyone else. But it's going to be a lot of fun. We're opinionated. We have opposite opinions on a lot of things. It's going to be a lot of fun. Views from the Nosebleeds should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Check it out.